What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode six of the Hog Line podcast. It's Monday morning. I hope everyone's having a great Monday, and I hope everyone had a great weekend as well. I know I did. Uh, there was a lot of sports this weekend, um, and I enjoyed myself. Uh, today on the episode, it is just me, no guests today, and I have a variety of topics to get into. Uh, to start off the show, I'm going to be discussing Saquon Barkley's new contract. Uh, news broke yesterday, and I'm going to be discussing the details of that contract and my thoughts on it. Uh, and then I'm going to be recapping the British Open, as that concluded yesterday. And uh, I previewed it on episode 5 with my dad. So I'm going to be uh, evaluating our predictions and getting into all of that. And then to close out the show, I'm going to be discussing the two big trades that happened across sports. Uh, obviously, in the NBA, we had the Kawhi Leonard and DeMar DeRozan trade. That was pretty shocking, so I'm going to be uh, discussing my thoughts on that. And then also there was a trade in the MLB with Manny Machado as he went from the Baltimore Orioles to the Los Angeles Dodgers. So that's today's topics, and I'm going to get right into it. Uh, to start off, uh, Saquon Barkley uh, signed his rookie deal with the New York Giants. He was obviously picked second overall. He signed a four-year, $31.2 million contract. That is fully guaranteed, and there is $15 million up front. Uh, this makes him the fourth highest paid running back on contract annually behind Le'Veon Bell, who's on the franchise tag, and LaShawn McCoy, and then third is Devontae Freeman. Uh, I Obviously, if you've listened to this show, you know that I'm a huge Saquon Barkley fan. I've talked about him in probably two or three episodes. I, at the end of the last episode, me and my, uh, my dad and I were raving about him and talking about his fantasy value and all of that, but he's obviously someone that can change the whole perspective of a franchise. Uh, that's why the the Giants took him second overall to hopefully be a game changer and just change the whole direction because obviously the Giants haven't had that haven't had any, you know, game breaking talent at running back since I don't know, Brandon Jacobs or maybe even Tiki Barber. But since then it's been a whole lot of nothing there, and they haven't haven't really had a difference at running back, so they felt that it was you know necessary to invest in the position. And obviously, when you get a guy like Saquon, you just got to give him give him everything that he wants. So I, I really think that Saquon, you know, we were talking about I was talking about Le'Veon Bell last episode, and I was pretty mad uh, that you know about the whole sideshow and all the drama that he brings. And Le'Veon really wants to you know, re reset and reshape the whole market for running back contracts in the NFL. He feels that the running back position is not valued as it should be in his eyes. And I really don't think he will be successful in that. Maybe not to what he thinks, what his goals are. I don't know any team that's going to pay a running back more than what the Steelers offered Bell. And if he doesn't think that's good enough, I don't know a team that will. I, I just don't see it with the lack of longevity in the wrong running back position, how they get injured so much, and uh, why wouldn't you want to get a running back for the cheapest price that you can? You know what I mean? So they could... The running back's a very ris- risky position, and they could get injured on any... I know any position, any player on an NFL field could get injured in the next play, but the chances increase uh, with running back there. So, I don't know. I think if anyone's going to reshape the running back market and for the contracts that they get, I think it might be Barkley because I really, 
I know it might be premature to say, but he is he's going to be special. I think he could be the best running back ever. I, I that might be a bold thing to say, and I know some people might not agree with me agree with me with that take, but I don't know. I really think he is something special, and you're just going to have to see this year and the next ten years after that. You'll have to just see that. He's just going to be unbelievable, and if anyone's going to reshape the market, it's going to be him. And I, I don't, I know I can't tell, but you can't tell the future. But I, if I think he will go about getting the contract in the right way, he's not going to. I mean, he may hold out, but it, I don't know if it, it'll bring this much drama that Bell has brung to the Steelers, and just I don't know. It just makes me so mad, and I don't really want to get into Le'Veon Bell anymore, but. I think Barkley's next contract could just be even more historic than this one because I mean I don't I didn't really look up the numbers for rookie running back contracts but I mean eight over eight years eight, over eight million dollars annually for the next four years has to be towards the top of rookie rookie running back deals it has to be because I mean if he's the fourth highest paid running back right now behind all these guys that are thousand yard rushers and Pro Bowlers and all that. I mean, that's got to be a record of some sort. So, congratulations to Saquon uh, getting his money. Uh, I think he deserves every bit of it, and I think the Giants made a wonderful decision giving him this much money, and uh, he will not disappoint. He will not let the New York Giants down. He will exceed all their wildest expectations, in my opinion. So, congratulations to Saquon for that. Another note on that, I saw he uh, bought his mom's house. You know, what a great kid. What a great guy, uh, you know, great man on and off the field. So I'm going to, I know it was a brief word on that. I just wanted to discuss that a little bit. And I'm going to be switching gears and be talking about the British Open. Uh, we previewed that, previewed that, excuse me, on episode five. And uh, we had a lot to say about that. And I was in Pittsburgh for most of this on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Got to, got to catch a little bit on Friday, not too much on Thursday, and not too much on Saturday either, but I watched almost all of Sunday, and I was following along all the way, and, uh, you know, it was very it was very exciting. There was a lot of lot of big names towards the top of the leaderboard throughout all of Sunday. I mean, I can't remember a major where so many big names and just names in general were at the top. Like, I thought, at a time, I thought there was a, a chance for, like, a five six person playoff and that I don't I don't think I've ever seen that since I've been watching golf so I mean that would have been exciting to see but obviously uh Franche- Francesco Molinari separated himself from the pack and he won at a score of eight under so congratulations to Francesco uh, I'll be talking about him in a little bit but I just want to highlight some of the big uh storylines and things that happened on the final round uh obviously you know aside from the champion the biggest storyline was obviously Tiger uh, just being back, you know. He really looked like the Tiger of old, and I know I'm a little too young to really appreciate and know what Tiger's true dominance was because when he was running through all the tournaments in the early 2000s, I was just uh, just a little kid. But I, as I grew older, I got to see the end of Tiger's dominant run, and that was just uh, very reminiscent of that. And he, he shocked the world. He shocked me because last episode I was – very down on him, and I really didn't think he could do this. I didn't think he had it in him. Uh, when we were looking at the odds of who had, who had the best odds of winning the British Open Championship, I uh, I always I thought he was overranked. I thought his odds were too high, but 
you know, he proved me wrong, and I think he, you know, he's got. If he can put together this performance, I don't see why he can't win a major in the next few years or so. So, you know, hats off to him, and he was just unbelievable. He had that hot start in the beginning. He was uh, two under on the front nine, and he was leading through ten holes. You know, he had sole possession of the lead in, in a major tournament with eight holes to go. So, I mean, that was pretty wild to see, just to see, you know, number one Woods and his score. I I don't know. It was pretty cool to watch, honestly. Uh, he had that insane fairway bunker shot on hole 10. He was like uh, perched against the, the edge of the, you know, the bunkers in uh, Europe are all, you know, they're little holes in the ground. They're not even bunkers. Like, they're just... Very tough, and obviously, if I if I was playing over there, I'd I don't know what I'd do. I'm not even I'm a terrible golfer as it is, and I, I don't need I don't need all of those you know insane bunkers. I think the bunkers are hard enough as they are, so that's a no thanks for me. I don't I don't know how I'd approach those shots, but Tiger shot was right on the edge, and I, I don't remember how far away it was exactly. I know it was probably in the fairway, but he had this high velocity swing and. I don't know how he got it up there. It just it was like a so high arc. I don't know what the apex of the shot was, but it was it was nuts. And then it ended up on the front of the green, and I don't remember what he did after that, but that was key. I think he may have parred that hole, but just to save par from the spot he was in there is pretty crazy. And uh, that was probably the peak of his momentum. As after that, I think he made double and then a bogey after that, or maybe two or three holes after. But it started to you know come back to reality for Tiger after that shot but you know man that hot start was uh fun to watch and is getting the juices flowing uh another big moment was Rory McIlroy on hole 14 he had an eagle putt I believe that brought him from four under to six under for the tournament and that really put Rory back in contention uh you know I I, I, we didn't talk too much about him on the other episode because he kind of got lost in the mix with the, the other big names but uh that eagle putt, I don't remember, I remember how far it was. It was a pretty lengthy putt, and it just went went right in. Um, and that really put him back in contention. Uh, obviously, he couldn't get the job done, but, you know, he had a great run. And there was just so many big names on the leaderboard throughout the majority of Sunday. You know, we had Spieth, obviously, up there as he was leading going into the day. Uh, Rory made that run. And uh, Justin Rose, which I'm going to talk about in a second, was up there. And obviously, Tiger so just a lot of big names, and it was really exciting to watch. Uh, yeah, so anyway, Justin Rose, another big name. Uh, I got to give props to my dad. He uh, he predicted him to win it all, and it was, it was, uh, wasn't looking so good through Thursday and Friday. He barely made the cut. He, on Thursday, he didn't play well. On Friday, he barely made the cut. He had to birdie the last hole on Friday. To make the cut. I think the cut was four over. And he birdied and made it three over. Just made it in on the last one. And uh, from there on out, he was just probably the best player in the tournament. On on uh, on Saturday, he shot seven under. He shot a 64 on Saturday. Beautiful rounds. And then on Sunday, he played well too. He weathered the storm. There was tough conditions out there. And obviously, on any Sunday in a major championship, you're going to... It's gonna be tough, but he weathered the, he weathered all the conditions and just the pressure of obviously he doesn't really feel the pressure. I mean, I, I, everyone does, but he's a major champion. He's been there. He knows what it takes. So he just put together a beautiful weekend, 
and he almost did it. He was the clubhouse leader when he went in at six under, and uh, you know just that was a great prediction by my dad. I was really hopeful for Tommy Fleetwood. I predicted him to win it all, but and he was looking good. He was, um, I think, he was five under going to the final round, but he just didn't have it on Sunday, and I really thought he would because, you know, he usually puts together a hot round on Sunday, and I know he hasn't won a major yet, but his time is coming. He's a young golfer, and, you know, he'll be there. He'll have his time. So will Ricky, too. I know Ricky didn't, had a disappointing Sunday, and he had a chance to win earlier. Like, on Saturday, he had a chance to win, but it fell apart in the final round. But his time is coming. So is Tommy Fleetwoods, and this new age of golf is uh, very exciting. But uh, the, the overall... You know, biggest factor in the championship was the consistency of Francisco Molinari. Uh, that's why he won. He played almost the perfect round of golf that you could. He had 37 consecutive holes without a bogey or worse. On sa- Saturday and Sunday, no bogeys at all. And then he didn't bogey 18th. On, he, his last bogey was hole 17 on Friday. So he played mistake-free golf down the stretch when it mattered most. And that's why he won. He... Uh, you know, he it just seemed every single time he was making par, saving par. Had a bad shot, he got next shot was magnificent, and he was right back in there. Uh, he just one or two putts on every hole, and he made those pressure packed putts. And he was just, uh, you know, very consistent. You know, his game's not very flashy. You're not going to see him show too much emotion out on the course as some of these other guys would. Some like to wear their emotions on the sleeve, but you know, you got to be cool, calm, and collected as uh, Molinari was, you know, and his game was just, you know, not too aggressive, but he just played the safe, conservative shots and really led him to the championship, obviously, as he won by, with a score of 8-under. And, uh, man, he's he's living the dream right now. He was the first Italian to win the British Open. So, and, I mean, it's the oldest major in the book. And uh, just to bring it home to his home country, you know, hats off to him. Congratulations. He shot up in the world rankings. He was uh, 27th in the world, and he shot up to 7th in the world, I believe. So he's on the up-and-coming. He's very talented, and um, I expect to see his name in there in future tournaments as well. So that concludes the British Open recap. I'll probably be talking about the PGA Championship when that rolls around in a few weeks. I believe that is August. I don't want to get the date wrong, but I think it's August 9th to 12th. That weekend, not 100% sure, but I'll be looking forward to that. I'll be watching that, and I'll be talking about that on the hog line as well. So for all you golf fans out there, uh, we'll be talking about that when that rolls around in a few weeks. So, yeah, that's it for that. Uh, I wanted to – oh, God, yeah, we got to get into the NBA trade, Uh, the huge shocking news. Uh, Obviously, Kawhi Leonard got traded to the Toronto Raptors – also, Danny Danny Green joined him as well, and the Spurs got in return. Demar Derozan, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name, but his name is Jacob something. I really don't want to butcher his last name, so I'm not even gonna try. Uh, so they got Demar, they got that Jacob guy, and they got a 2019 protected first rounder. I believe the conditions of the first rounder are it's one through 20 protected, and if the Spurs don't get it in 2019, they get two seconds the year after. Not 100% sure on the conditions of the protection, protected first, but I believe those are it. So that's the trade. Um, honestly, I love what the Spurs did here. Uh, you knew that Kawhi wasn't going to stay, 
I think their relationship was too far gone. I think everyone pretty much agrees and acknowledges that. So the Spurs had to trade him, and they pretty much got all that they could for it. I mean, to get one or potentially two draft picks and another multi-time All-Star in DeMar DeRozan, who's not even that much older than Kawhi. He's only a year and a half older, so it's not even like they got some old vet that the Spurs usually are accustomed to getting in Paul Gasol and Tony Parker and LaMarcus Aldridge, but they got DeMar DeRozan, who's obviously a top-tier talent in the NBA. So to get to replace Kawhi with a guy who is maybe just, just a step below, but not even that much more, it's just it was a great move by them, I think. Um, and I think as long as Pop is there, they're going to make the playoffs. I really believe that the Spurs are a team where the system is greater than the individual. I think the Spurs can play with less talent than other teams can just because they have such a good you know, organization and coaching staff and obviously one of the best head coaches of all time. And I just I love the system that they play. And I think that, you know, they can, I think they're making the playoffs. I know some people might not agree with that, but I mean, they made it last year without Kawhi, Kawhi playing nine games in the whole season. So I think the Spurs are making the playoffs and uh, just a great move in general by them because they knew they weren't getting them back and obviously a trade had to happen for them. Uh, and in terms of the Raptors and their side of the deal, they took a risk. You know, they took a big risk. They, it, it could pay. Obviously, it'll pay off if Kawhi stays and signs uh, a deal with them in his 2019 free agency. But if he doesn't, you know, you pretty much just gave up your player who built your franchise for the past, I don't know how long DeMar was there, for the past seven to eight years. And you're not going to, you, you rented a guy for a, a season. But I'm not saying that he's going to leave. Uh, you know, obviously, if, if you look at other examples across the league and Paul George, you know, everyone, everyone under the sun thought Paul George was, you know, going to spend one year in Oklahoma City and just get out of there and go to L.A. But if you look at that situation, you see that's not a guarantee because obviously he stayed and signed a four-year deal with them. So it's not a guarantee that he's going to end up in L.A. I know Kawhi is a different person than Paul George, but a year is a long time and maybe the Raptors make some noise and convince him to stay. I'm not, you know, it's not a guarantee is all I'm trying to say. Uh, and I, you know, I'm not really a Kawhi fan. This whole situation just made me exhausted and tired of hearing of him. So honestly, I don't even care about what, what happens to him, but, uh, you know, you, you never know. I mean, it obviously affects me as a Celtics fan and the whole landscape of the Eastern conference. You know, if Kawhi leaves the Raptors, they're pretty much going to go downhill because Kyle Lowry is not going to be able to carry a load by himself. He's getting older. Uh, yeah. So that, that his, decision will obviously make a huge impact on the whole landscape of the NBA and it would shift even more power to the West if he goes to LA but we will see as time comes I right now at first glance it looks like the Spurs got the better of a deal just more security uh, in the whole situation in my opinion and they got a few draft picks which is always nice so yeah that's it I'm gonna that's all I wanted to talk about the Hawaii Damar trade uh, I'm going to get into the Manny Machado trade. Uh, another kind of similar situation. I mean, not obviously not all the drama that Kawhi brought to San Antonio, but you know, Manny Machado was on the Baltimore Orioles, and uh, they are one of the worst teams in the MLB. Uh, one of the, frankly, one of the worst. Te- they're on pace for one of the worst seasons ever in the MLB history in the 
whenever it switched to a 162-game schedule. Right now, the Orioles are 28-72, and and that means they're on pace for 45 wins. You know what the worst season ever in MLB history is with 162 games? 43 wins. That That's so bad, and it's not, obviously it's not the same situation as Kawhi, but it's, it's similar in the fact that Machado was a free agent in 2019, similar to Kawhi, and he's not going to stay in that train wreck of a team, so you had to trade him. When a guy's a free agent, you want to look to trade him so you can get value in return as, a fa- as opposed to him just leaving the following season. So, you know, a trade was almost inevitable in this situation. And just to highlight the details of it, uh, Manny Machado went to the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the Orioles got five prospects in return, including two pitchers, two third basemen, I believe, and one outfielder. Um, Obviously, I'm not too... I don't really know too much about the MLB farm system and how good these prospects are, but, you know, if you get five of them in return for one guy, you know, there's you know, hope for the future in that sense that one, one or two of them could pan out. So, you know, obviously the Orioles are in rebuilding mode. Um, like I said, they pretty much had to deal them and, uh, you know, it might be a long, painful process for the Orioles. As I know, I'm a Pirates fan and, uh, they went through a long stretch of my childhood where they were just flat out terrible and it didn't really look like anything was going to get done. So I don't know, maybe the Orioles are horrible headed for a situation like that where they're not very good for the next three to five years. But, you know, the Cubs weren't that way either. And look at the Cubs now. They built something from the ground up, and they've got a great core. So, I mean, baseball is kind of fluky like that. You can, uh, you know, there's some turnover in the good and bad teams. But, you know, they're in rebuilding mode, the Orioles are. Um, So, in a sense, it benefited them, you know, because they got – value in return for a guy that was going to leave. Uh, and in terms of the Dodgers side of the deal, uh, you get a guy that's an all-star this season. Uh, he's batting 316, 24 home runs, 65 RBIs. So you've got a game-changing talent in a tight division race. The Dodgers are locked into, you know, a wild division right now. They, there's like five, six games separating only four teams in the NL West. You know, you got the uh, the Diamondbacks, I believe, are only a game back of the Dodgers. And uh, the Rockies and the Giants are not too far behind. So they needed to swoop in and get Machado. They needed that uh, game-changing talent that could potentially set them over the edge and uh, put them on a playoff run towards the championship. Uh, I know uh, maybe it's only for half a season, but if this is the season where they can go for it all, why not, you know, just uh, give up some prospects and go for it, you know? I don't really... I didn't. Didn't really look too much into this, but I heard that the Phillies had a deal in place with Machado, and the Dodgers came in last minute and, you know, wowed the Orioles, and, you know, they obviously went with them. So, a uh, tough break for the Phillies if that is actually true. But you never know. Machado is a free agent in 2019, so maybe he'll sign with the Phillies or elsewhere. You never know. So, uh, yeah. I, I know it's kind of corny to say, and that it wasn't really uh, anything bold what I just said there, but. The deal was pretty much mutually beneficial, in my opinion. You know, the Dodgers got that guy, to summarize, the Dodgers get that guy that could potentially put them over the edge. And the Orioles, they needed to do this, and they got five prospects that could help them in the future. So it helped both sides, in my opinion. So, you know, deal that a good deal for both teams. Uh, I know that's pretty much it for today's episode. I know it's kind of a short one, uh, but it's just me, and there wasn't that much to talk about today. 
but yeah, I just want to close with saying I want to thank all my listeners. Uh, I really enjoy doing this, and I don't have that many listeners, but uh, just thank you very much for thank you everyone for listening. I really enjoy doing this. Um, it's really fun. I encourage anyone if you're thinking about starting a podcast or have ever thought about it. I encourage you to go for it. I really like it. I really like talking about sports and I like uh, talking to other people about it and having debates about sports in just general. It's a lot of fun. So I really encourage you to do it if you've ever thought about doing it or are thinking about doing it. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. And uh, oh, this I didn't really figure this out. I'm recording this and I haven't really figured it out yet. But this episode might be on YouTube. We created a YouTube channel. It's uh, the Hogline Podcast, so search that up on YouTube and subscribe. Uh, if you read my Instagram posts a few days ago, I, I SoundCloud's uh, making me upgrade my account, and I have to pay for it now. So I might switch to YouTube just to you know uh, not have to pay that money, and just it may it might even be a greater chance for exposure anyway. So I'm probably going to be putting this up on YouTube. Uh, so make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, follow the page on Instagram at the Hogline Podcast. And uh, that's going to be all for today. So thank you very much and um, have a good day. I'll see you next time.